Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to Autism Uprooted with Bionexus Health. Today is going to be an amazing podcast. This is, um, I would like to dedicate today's podcast to autism moms. Uh, we will have the unique opportunity to talk about inner strength, recovery from chronic illness, being a mom of a special needs child, the healing journey, the trials and tribulations, and what helped bring on the triumphs. When does one surrender, have faith, and keep taking baby steps, trusting in the journey, trusting in your own self? Knowing who you are is very important. Just like the wonderful Maya Angelou says, all great achievements take time. So be still, take the next step. You don't have to know the next 100 steps, just one more step in the right direction. And as most of you know, I speak from experience as an autism mom myself. You know, surround yourself with people who uplift you and support you. Cancel out the chatter, the noise from, from the doubters, the haters, the ones who bring you down. Get rid of toxic people, toxic emotions from your life. Stick with your dreams. Believe in your vision of your future and the future of your child. And you know, be steadfast on that path. You will meet with extraordinary success. Again, I speak from experience. So my today's guest has achieved all that and so much more. It is a wonderful treat to have this opportunity to speak to my friend, Anne Pemberton, human being extraordinaire. Welcome to the BioNexus Health Podcast with Dr. Jodie A. Darshaw, who holds a PhD in Integrative Medicine, is board certified in Integrative Pediatrics, an internationally recognized pioneering clinician and author. And now here's your host of BioNexus Health Podcast, Dr. Jodie A. Dashaw. Anne's career spans 25 years of cardiothoracic intensive care nursing. She was blessed with a son, later diagnosed with autism. Her son's diagnosis totally changed her career trajectory as she looked to natural therapies to support him and found herself in the process. That's, that's so wonderful. And retrained in psychology, then later in functional medicine as well. So she combines functional medicine with the five levels of healing model in a busy, very popular international clinic across the pond in the UK. Now, Anne is also a published author and established international speaker. Since 2008, Anne has been teaching academic and clinical modules on nutritional therapy courses. She ran the Masters in Nutrition Science and Practice course at the Northern College of Acupuncture in York, United Kingdom from 2010 to 2017. 
She is a uh, regular in-demand contributor for the ICAM magazine. So let's welcome my amazingly accomplished friend, Anne Pemberton. Welcome, Anne. How are you today? Oh, thank you, Jodie. That was a lovely introduction. I feel so blessed to be here. It's an absolute honor having you, Anne. You've been an inspiration to me for so many years. Thank you. Likewise. <laughs> thank you. So we are both autism moms, and we have both had uh, quite a remarkable journey with so many ups and downs. Uh, so if I may request you to share some of that, you know, what inspired you to find your path to healing? And when you started, where did that lead you? Oh, how long have you got? Um, <laughs> I'll try and precede that. Um, I don't come from a very privileged background. You know, my parents grew up in the war. My dad lost his mum at the age of two and was brought up by his 16-year-old sister, who he perceived to be his mum until he was told different when he got older. And she brought up nine siblings, two of which they lost the same year as their mum. So they had nothing, absolutely nothing. And my mum came from a whole background of Catholicism, where there was a lot of alcohol, a lot of violence. So the pair of them were traumatised, want, for want of a better description. And so, you know, my dad worked, well, both of them worked very hard. But my dad was on the railway. My mum worked in the corner shop. So the background was not there to even get into academic life, really, because it was in the UK, it was the top 1% of the population. If your daddy was a doctor, you could be a nurse. So even getting into nursing school was hard. Um, so that was kind of the start on where we, where we actually came from. But then, um, yeah, um, nursing, I think, grew me um, because it kind of brought me out of that. It wasn't all trauma because my parents were beautiful people. Um, but it brought me out of that transgenerational stuff, I think, and it helped me to grow. Um, and then I started having children. I have two boys and I have to say the eldest one gets all the kudos because he is the special needs child. But they are both extremely special. You know, the eldest one, as you've just quite rightly said, uh, brought me back to me. Um, the youngest one brought love into a totally loveless situation. And, you know, when I think about both of them, it actually makes me cry. But, um, yeah, so that was kind of the oh. start. Um, I, my boy I love, sorry, Anne. Oh, I, I have to interject. It, that, that was so well said, so beautifully put. So Thank you're you. such a beautiful person. Oh. You just are. Um, I guess, you know, I guess when you don't come from a privileged background, you appreciate everything that the divine brings to you, don't you? You know, um, I don't think my children really do because they've not grown up from that background because, you know, my parents got their themselves out of that. And we managed or my dad managed to buy his own house when I was 14. So 
and we've always had our own home and thanks thanks to the good things Margaret Thatcher did in Britain we were able to buy our own home and make that even better you know so you know my kids are privileged compared to how we were and they don't they don't see that really but and neither does anyone in that generation but that's kind of going off topic isn't it <laughs> um, right but yeah, yeah so so my um my eldest boy had birth trauma exactly the same birth trauma i had it was almost like a complete repeat um the only difference being he wasn't a c section um but it was never well it was always a really sickly baby the usual ear infections chest infections screamy baby never slept at night we used mm -hmm. to take him in the car at three o'clock in the morning in a baby bouncer to try and get him to sleep. And then the minute we brought him back and put him in the car, again, you know. Oh. <laughs> so never got any sleep. And the pair of us were low wage earners as well. One of us was a chef, the other was a nurse. Um, so I still had to work, uh, which meant neither of us got sleep for years. Um, but at the age of six, we finally got a diagnosis for him. Everybody said, oh, he's a gifted child. Is this, is that, you know, but, um, the beautiful thing was his headmistress in the primary school he was at was a psychologist and very switched on. And it was her that said, the ed, the ed psych is saying he has autism, but they won't tell you because it will cost them a lot of money to, to educate him, you know? And I went, really? I mean, I had no exposure to this stuff, you know? Anyway, I said, what do I do? And she said, well, you need to get a diagnosis first. So... I beat the professionals down basically the the psychi the psychologist we were seeing um he just said to me I feel so stupid I said please don't I you know I have no judgment here we're all trying to do the best for my son just please send me to the person who will give us a diagnosis so that I can get this child some help and we saw the psychiatrist and do you know, I could hit myself for doing this, but I fed him a box of Smarties before we went, knowing full well that Smarties would have him off the ceiling. And, and But I was just so desperate for someone to say, look, you're not a crazy mum. You don't have Munchausen's, because all of that came through before all this. So, um, Anne, wait, I'm sorry. What? Uh, you, you fed him um, a box of Smarties. <laughs> So that's, I see. Okay. So you, you were hoping for a diagnosis or you were, okay. I wanted someone to see right. him as he was because what was happening was right. we kept a very quiet household at home. So he never really had cause to be overwhelmed. But the minute he went to school, school was a, a nightmare for him. Um, he went to six different schools by the time he was 12. He was in mainstream, then special, mainstream, then special. And then he even went in and out of authority placement because in the end, he was abused in that system and a restraint policy that went badly wrong. Uh, and I took them to tribunal and we actually got the school, which was supposedly for these type of children. But because he was already so damaged, that failed within a year. and they were going to section him and um, I got someone, I got a call from the school at work to say, we're, we're pushing for a section. And I said, you're not over my dead body. Um, so uh, my brother came with me, I got in the car and we drove five, five, mi 
five hours down to Southampton to pull my child out of the school to to avoid section. But but he'd gone from he was he was years ahead of his peers when he started school, and by this mm. time he was pure canners. Um, he was just sitting in the floor, head rocking, banging his head on the wall. You know, there was nothing. Um, but the thing that that hung it all together for me was when he was diagnosed age six, um, the psychiatrist gave him a diagnosis in seconds. Um, and she just, and she said two things to me. She said, you will never get his education right within this authority. They just will not, shall, they just will not pay the money. Um, and he'll be put down as an emotionally and behaviorally disturbed child. Um, but then the second thing she said to me was, if you can keep him calm and get him to university, university is a sheltered housing for these children. Well, I didn't know that. I hadn't even been to university, you know. But I, hold on, I held on to those two things that she said. She said it would be about age 12 when he was in charge of his own learning and things would change. But at the age 12, that's when he had the nervous breakdown from being in the the, the school away from home and so he didn't go back to high school I never let him um that's when I was doing all the training um I'd done the psychology degree mm -hmm. by then um and I was looking at uh postgraduate teaching kids with autism I got it into my head there's only me that can teach this child so you know try and take more pressure on him so Anne, sorry, you know, I'm I'm so fascinated by your story. I keep interrupting you. I think right. I will uh, switch the view to uh, where both of us are on at the same yeah. time. This is, you know, I, I can't tell you how many moms are going to relate to what you're saying. And, you know, you're, you're speaking about being abused by uh, the education system. We can all relate to that. Now, you know, uh, those watching, keep in mind, Anne is in the United Kingdom. So, you know, that that can be surprising to hear uh, the lack of awareness that we have in our um, respective societies for, you know, children with the special needs. Everyone wants to put them in, you know, uh, a very definitive box and leave them there. And, you know, it really breaks my heart um, when, when you mentioned restraint. Yeah, we were forced to sign a restraint policy to keep him in mainstream Goodness. school. Yeah. Right, and, and he was sent away from home to be in, in a specific special needs school. Yeah. Right, and you know, you as, as a parent, a, tend to follow the established guidelines, you know, trusting well, that, that it might work. Well, the thing was after after the abuse in the school, um, it what I didn't know it was happening, but he had a carer, a full-time carer, which we did get eventually, you know, from various assessments. Mm -hmm. And um, the carer was, she was wonderful, you know, absolute spot on, I loved it a bit. Um, and what happened was we were at home one day, my friend came who was a social worker with her younger child and my boy 
went into his program the child came in and he said right Matthew we're going into your program now and my friend and myself just went <gasps> when we watched what was happening so he was playing out what was going on at school and I I just didn't know what to do I froze um and my friend says you do realize I have to report this I know you're my friend and I said I get it it's fine you'll still be my friend just do whatever you have to do Anyway, she reported it. There was lots of investigation, but basically the education authority and the health authority, because my kids then had to go to the health authority to be checked out. Um, and I nearly lost them both at this oh, point. Um, because they both ganged up on me, my own profession ganged up on me and the education authority because they wanted to protect this person, this head teacher. Right. Um, and so that's why my son went away to school, because if I hadn't have agreed to him go, I took him, I took them to tribunal. So that was ongoing. But because of this situation escalating, they they suddenly said, right, he can go to that school and he has to go. Otherwise, they're both under the care of the, the authority. See, um, that's yeah. So so that is, you know, so um important to understand when to kind of you know follow the rules just to keep the peace um i i remember many bullying incidents with brian as well and you know he would come home with bruises and i remember sitting on the stairs trying to elicit something nonverbal clues as to what happened you know, and I, and I remember once, you know, just in, in, the, I brought him home from daycare, uh, not, yeah, from, from his nursery school. And he had these bruises and within five minutes, I put him back in the car and I was back at the school and I'm asking the headmistress, what is this? And she just, just, you know, it did not even take her a second to deny, oh, it didn't happen here. I'm like, I just brought him home. What are you trying to say? You know, that, that I, I mean, you know, it is um, many parents dream of mainstreaming their child, right? From special needs, you know, let's go to regular classes. But then in, in regular classes, there are no integration programs, transitional programs, you know, and then you have children who don't understand uh, what, what this uh, special needs children go through. You know, and then there is that abuse. I mean, we had bullying. We had uh, after treatment, after a few years, when Brian learned to have functional conversation, he actually stood in front of his class and he's, you know, he spoke uh, with the help of his assistant teacher with him. And he said, you know, I have pans. I have pandas. It's an autoimmune condition. My head shakes. I make weird, you know, vocal sounds. I can't help it. It's like a hiccup. But you have to understand that you can, it's okay to be friends with me because you're not going to catch what I have. And, you know, that, that I think um, I had requested uh, the, the, the class teacher, the, the class mom to attend. And she had other moms attend as well. And, you know, uh, she she told me later, I actually remember Dylan's mom, that she felt ashamed of how she had raised her child with complete lack of uh, compassion 
for someone like Brian, you know, and, and since then, you know, Dylan and Brian had become good friends. Anyways, well, please continue. I, I, it's, it's just, you know, it, it just brought back memories. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Well, I can't remember where I got to then. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. So if I, so yeah, so obviously he went away to school. I then brought him out. He didn't go back to secondary school, but all the way through, we have, um, we have a, a set of schools run by the National Autistic Society. Yeah. And there's one particular school that's about 40 miles away from us. Um, and the headmistress of that particular school was very helpful all the way through. And at the age of seven, Philip, when my son Philip was seven, I went to look at that school and I would have loved him to go there. And that's actually what I would have fought for. But the difficulty was because my son was so upset and distressed in school, what was happening was he was kicking off in school. And in that particular National Autistic Society school, the staff were the absolute best that I could have hoped for. But the environment was a small um, detached house where they had about 36 children in there. It was cramped. So if all my special son, needs, all, all, yeah, all, special autis needs all, all, all autism spectrum, but some okay. were in wheelchairs, some had, you know, dyspraxia, you know, that all that kind of right. stuff. Some had other, co um, what's the word, the, you know, the other conditions that often come with it. So they had a, quite a mix of quite severe children, the ones that would never, ever be able to go to mainstream school. Um, and because he was able and because he had the propensity to fly off the handle, even though I knew those people were the best he could possibly hope for, the environment was wrong because if he'd have kicked off, children would have been unsafe. Um, and I couldn't live with that guilt on top of everything else. So what I did was I kept in touch with them all the way. And then when my son was about 14, um, an entrepreneur bought them a secondary school and oh. did it out for them. And so then they transferred all the children into there. So then they had a school that would take a thousand plus children and they have a hundred children in it. So there there was the space and they took him at age 14 and a half. Okay. And um, at the time, I remember talking to the um, psychologist of the school and he said, Anne, you know, he's such a bright lad. He doesn't need to be here. And I said, look, he sleeps with me. You know, he's 14 and a half. We have to get out of this thing. I'm not bothered about his academics. If you please just help him to see that there's someone else good in this world apart from his mum, then we're on a winner. You know, that's all we need. Just give him his confidence back. Tell him he's got something useful to give to society because I know he has. Yes. Um, and so they did. Um, they gave him his own programme. They gave him his own room with his own computer. They, all they asked of him was to come into the classroom for the last 15 minutes of every day. He had his own fob to go through the doors because, you know, a lot of these kids escape all the time, don't they? Bless the little souls. Um, and he he worked with the IT lady because that's his special skill. He writes or he like writes programs. He does electronic engineering. He's, oh, he's wonderful! A typical, oh, typical wow. one of those. Yeah. He taught himself all that before he was three years old. You know, we had no input um, other than to buy the computers, yeah. <laughs> work hard to pay for those. 
But um, I mean, they did so well with him. And at the end of his first year, I had already been doing um, a C++ programming course with him just to see if he could manage, mm-hmm. you know, to be in a learning environment again. And he absolutely flowered. And I think it was because the teacher respected his position, you know, and it was just a night school um, without knocking it away. But he ended up, he got a city in guilds. So that meant he could learn. Yeah, fantastic. He could learn. So at the end of that first year, I said to the, we we have the usual yearly meeting. What's going to happen next year? What services do we require? And I just said to the staff and the psychologist, look, um, they were of the mind that we could get him a Hallamshire University open ticket so that he could do a degree from their school and he could just carry on being his autism self, you know, and that was fine, you know, if that's all we were hoping for. But my mind was... Actually, he needs to go out into society because he's been given these tools now and he has to practice those tools. And if we got him on a course that he could realistically manage, he then would have the time and the space to see what's going on in his environment as well, rather than being this just narrow focused academic whatever. And I explained that to them and I said, the way I see this happening is, he needs a couple of GCSEs, he particularly needs English and he particularly needs maths to get him into university. And his city and guilds will at least get him into college if he's got those four. And then we can take that route. And they went, <gasps> I said, honestly, please trust me. I know what he needs, you know. Um, and I said, and I know it's going to be difficult for him, but let's face it, he's a tough kid. He's come through all of this that he's had happen to him. He's a tough kid. He's like his mum. Let's just go for it. And if it if it fails, we can come back, right. you know. And and they said absolutely you can. I said lovely. I said I love you all for what you've just done. But um, he went to the local college because he couldn't go to a school in their environment because it was out of authority. And we have lots of red tape about you know what the authority will pay oh, right. for. Yes. Oh, it's so yeah. it's so <laughs> it's so Dickensian here in those in that respect. Um. So he went to the local college. I supported his English, knowing he would find English difficult because, you know, they're very hyperlexic, aren't they? But give them some, you know, uh, you know, fancy stories and they just don't get the drift of the story. Oh, I know. I know. I know this. My goodness. You know, that's how it was with Brian. You know, like, um, give him mathematical problems give him computation don't give him word problems you know where there's reading comprehension involved i mean even now he's he's in med school and and it's like mom you know i i I have this ethics paper to write i what do i do (laughs) so i'm like you know let's let's brainstorm uh together and yeah is isn't that yes well what what you mentioned hyperlexic i i do have several um Patients as well, as I'm sure you've, you've seen many, you know, that are bright, hyperlexic. You know, and I absolutely love what you said because um, oftentimes in, in uh, many cultures, uh, individuality is put aside for following the uh, routine academic path. 
oh, you know, I have a son who's 12. Okay, he should be in this grade. He should be doing long division. He should be doing this. He should be, you know, th this is what we need to focus on. You know, I, I, I want to make him, you know, appear normal. Uh, because there is, there is, you know, often shaming from family members, from society. Oh, you're the one who has that kid. Mm -hmm. Like, really? You know, like you, you, so it, it takes a very special person. It's, uh, you know, moms, dads, very special person to support the child and say, you know what, this is what he is good at, just like you did. And let's help his self-confidence, you know, by, by uh, standing behind and encouraging what he feels comfortable with. We, we already know he's bright. So they they all are, Jody. I've never yes. seen even the ones yes. with the lowest IQs are good at something. Yes. And and we and don't we... all have to be doctors, we don't all have to be professors because this world needs every one of us. Exactly. And and I this is my belief. I believe these these are chosen children. They are light bodies, which is why they are super sensitive to everything. They beat their own drum to their own tune because they have a purpose to help this world, world's ascension, as it were. Yes. Um, and yeah, they've, they're all bringing gifts to this world, but they are the creatives that are going to change this world in the future. That's I what agree. I believe. You know? I absolutely, absolutely agree. You know, you, you actually reminded me of little Jake. Um, he was the first hyperlexic child I had come across in my practice other than Brian and beautiful. You know, he was so, I, I remember uh, we were doing colors in the beginning. Uh, he was two and a half, right? When, when I started with him and I, you know, and he would be so particular. I'm like, oh, this is orange. He goes like peach. I'm like, oh, okay, this is peach. It's not orange. And I'm like, all right, so that's maroon, magenta. I'm like, okay, Jake. So, <laughs> so beautiful. You know, and then he grew up and his mom, uh, absolutely amazing Lisa, she, you know, kind of uh, felt her mind open and just like you and I felt, her, you know, because Jake had his own path, very bright, right? You know, numbers, letters, very bright, but he did not have an inclination towards academics. It, I mean, even though, you know, he, he would do really well in school, but what, long story short, he took up bowling. And, you know, him and his nine pins, right? He loves it. And he, he became, uh, yeah, he became the state champion in bowling in his age group. And now he is 17 and he teaches uh, other children with special needs or not how to excel at bowling. And that's his, his calling. You know, he is still representing the state in his age group. So, you know, his mom thought he would be this, you know, uh, doctor, engineer, whatever, IT person. No, that's that's he can do all that. If, if he put his mind, but, but that's not what he wants to do. And so there you go. We all have to beat to our own tune, don't we? Exactly. But, but the whole narrative 
gives us a whole lot of conditioning as to why we're not supposed to do that. Um, because really, as I said, I found me through this process. Yes. You know, when my son was diagnosed, I pinned my mum down and said, please don't protect me anymore. But just answer me one question really honestly and truthfully. And she said, what? And I could see her face change because she knew what I was going to ask because my mum was very <laughs> knowledgeable. And I just said, was I like him as a child? And she said, absolutely. Um, you know, and I said, I really respect you for that. Um, that's great. You know, so th there is an element. I mean, you know, when we look at autism, we're seeing the children at the one end of the scale. But then look at us when any even neurotypical people when they get stressed what do they do they lock down they hide themselves away they talk gibberish they go out straight into frontal brain which means get from a to b in the safest way possible you know and if we only just look at ourselves and say what would make me behave in that way then we have an understanding because we're all equal Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Now, you, you've been through um, a lot of health issues. So um, when you say that you discovered yourself, you, you discovered yourself at all five levels that, that you know, all five levels needed healing. Absolutely. Yeah. I had my third near-death experience uh, five years ago. I had a near-death experience at birth because I was a very severe birth trauma where both mum and I nearly lost our lives. Oh my um, Yeah, and then when I had my first son, the one with the diagnosis, I also had a postpartum hemorrhage with him. So, and I nearly lost my life then, needed nine units of blood transfusion and attended theatre, I don't know how many times to stop the bleeding. Um, and then my third near-death experience, I got mold-induced pneumonia with mast cell activation. But it was a big emotional thing that set that off as well. Um, it was something happened in the role I was doing. I thought it was my role. I thought, you know, I just felt so privileged to be in that role. And I felt it was my soul's calling, but it wasn't. And something happened and it was very emotional. And I gave my notice the same day. It was like, I'm not tolerating this anymore. Um, I went off to Seattle and I was under power. My immune, my immune system was on the floor because emotionally that had just taken me. It was almost like the straw that broke the camel's back, really. Um, I went off to Seattle. I contracted pneumonia out there. And then I managed to fly back because I didn't even know I had pneumonia. I was still working. Um, but on the plane home, they didn't have a gluten-free meal for me. And the meal that they brought me was already plated up. And I thought, that's strange. Why is that plated up and not in the plastic, you know, sealable thing? They'd obviously put a meal together because they didn't have one for me. Right. And, and, and even though my intuition said, don't eat this, I just took one mouthful and it had high fructose corn syrup on it. It was a salad. Mm -hmm. So I thought, it'd be, you know, and so because I have all the genes that can't break down histamine, the whole thing just went whoosh. And I was 30,000 feet up. Um, there was a doctor on board who, who attended me um, and I said to them, please do not bring the plane down. I have to go home. And because I'm a heart math coach, I concentrated on my own breathing all the way home, connected to source, though I didn't realise I was doing that at the time, um, and just prayed all the way home oh, um, wow. and, and then got home. But it was a week later when I collapsed um, and then three months uh, 
to be honest, Dr. Dr. Jess helped me a lot with that. Um, sending me bits and pieces over. Uh, Dr. Patricia Kane and Dr. Damien Downing saved my life with their phosphatidylcholine intravenous. Dr. Kane, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I still didn't want to be here. There was a whole thing around. Do you know what? I've done this enough. I've had enough. I've done it enough. I don't want to be here. And I got quite resentful that my life had been saved in some ways. Um, and so I wasn't getting well. And then um, a lovely friend of mine called Nikki Gratrix was, um, yes. she was doing an emotional detox program. And she said, Anne, do you, do you want to be part of this emotional detox program? I'm learning so much, she said. Um, I've been on Eileen McCusick, had Eileen McCusick's whole course gifted to me. And I've been on it and it's just amazing, this energetic work that she's doing with the tuning forks. And I went, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, let me have a go, you know, and it kind of sparked my, yeah, I've got something to aim for. Maybe I will stay, you know. Um, I did all that emotional detox program with her. She gifted me all the forks and then I bought all the solfeggio forks. I got really in tune with it. And then she opened up the Ascension portal because she always wanted to be an Ascension queen. So she's moved from functional medicine into Ascension. And of course- She has. Oh, I want, okay. Now, isn't, uh, isn't Nikki the one who um, also works with the vagus nerve? Yeah, she's the one, right? She's yeah. She I, I we trained together at the Institute of Optimum Nutrition years ago, and I never really knew her because there were 150 people in my course, and you kind of stay with your friendship group, don't you? But in the third year, we had a clinic together, and um, we both had a recognition of the strength in the other person. For me, I'd come from Western medicine where every organ is separate and the brain's separate from the body. And, whoa, how do you put that into a functional medicine model when you've, you've especially when you've just worked on the heart and the kidneys, because the kidneys are connected to the heart somehow when nothing else is. Um, but it was like, I can put it all into the functional medicine model. Like, I was finding it really difficult from that entrenched way, which is my autism, to be honest. You know, once you get in a, that thing, Anyway, she, uh, and but I have the facts. So she can do all this fancy stuff with the functional medicine model. And then I'll right. say, well, what about that? And what about that? And what about that? You know, so we were kind of working together for her patient. Um, and then afterwards, she gave me some really wonderful opportunities because when she went, she opened the Optimum Health Clinic. And so she built with, with her then partner, um, she built the Optimum Health Clinic. They got studies in the BMJ and she made herself world famous as a result of that. And she's just she's another just amazing person. And so um, we just, she got me the speaker engagements for ICAM because she would message me and say, oh, do you know, they only pay this and I can't afford to come over and just, you know, and will you do this for me? Or she'd say, I just can't do it. I can't get a visa. And so she got me on stage, but I had to take half a bottle of Gabba to get on stage, um, you know, in the early days. But you, know, you kind of get there once you know that people are interested in your voice, you know. You, and once you know that for me, it's all about case studies. And I'm, I'm quite happy to say when a case study doesn't work out, because then you learn from it, don't you? Right. And so 
you know, the, people like that. They like the stories. I'm a good storyteller. So, yes, um, you are. <laughs> you, you, you're you're a wonderfully engaging storyteller. See, that's actually what's what's generating all my questions. I'm like, okay, you know, I I had a few questions in mind, but they're all out the window because there's so much uh, additional, you know, exciting, stimulating stuff that that I'm listening to you, and and it's all coming to me. So you know, uh, you you must have had to. Uh, did you have any uh, toxic friends or family members, like while you were uh, personally detoxing your emotions? Uh, did, did you have Oops. to get, get rid of them? How did you manage to you know establish those boundaries that you know? I mean, you know what I'm trying to say. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, nearly everybody in my life was toxic apart from my children. Um, because I attracted them, because I was the obsequious one, gave in to everything. So I walk I, I just people, yeah, absolutely. Not being able to say no, I hear you. Yeah. I hear. yeah, absolutely. And and that's what caused my ill health. It was, you know, it because those kind of people berate you, knock you down, all that kind of stuff. Well, you start to believe it in yourself and leave a marriage. I had a marriage of 30 years like that, which is why I say my youngest son was a gift from heaven because he brought love into a totally loveless situation. But I didn't even realise it was loveless because, you know, my mum, to be fair, was an alcoholic. So, you know, how do you get love? How do you realise what love was? I was very lucky because my dad was very spiritual like me even though he never realized his own spirituality, he was afraid of it, but he was always the one I allied with and it was his lessons I learned. You know, my mum's, I just used to go, oh, forget it, you know? <laughs> and I fought my mum, but my dad, my dad just held us both, bless him. Um, he was the saint, really. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it, it's all, yeah. I think what's happened as I have done more and more work on myself, my children have grown and my eldest one now owns his own home and has and he's educated to master's level and he is an electronic and a computer engineer um you know so and he bought my parents family home which is so beautiful yeah which is so beautiful jody you know i couldn't hope for anything better because he's in my mum and dad's bungalow and it just feels so safe because he's still vulnerable. You know, there are, he's still got, he, he's out in community. He, he travels all over the world. He's, he's one of the furry convention, you know, that wear furry suits and go out and do yes. special things for the cancer research and they hug kids, you know. So all that, all that closeness that he never could have as a child is developing now with other children and, and well, grown-ups as well, because they all like to hug a tiger, don't they? Or, you know, <laughs> we're all a bit that. And so, you know, I can't, I can't even remember where I, where I went down there, but, you know, he's he's got all of that now, which is so lovely. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah. Marvellous. You know, that, that you, sorry, forgive me. I, it's cold and chilly here. <laughs> Bless you. As yeah. as as we were discussing earlier, right? You know, we yeah. we have the uh, tail end of uh, Hurricane Ian, so it 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 did the crazy stuff in Florida, all all the devastation 
um, when one of my colleagues actually was uh, impacted in Fort Myers and then now it's it's been traveling up yeah so uh, yeah uh, it's been traveling up the Carolinas now we've had Ian here since yesterday non-stop rain windy cloudy my goodness but that that's mother nature right mother nature has yeah. been on on the warpath the last <laughs> few years she certainly has yeah we've got autumn here and it's it's actually uh, some days it feels like it's coming with a vengeance and then the next day it's sunny again so we don't know even know what to wear at, at this point in time <laughs> <laughs> go with the flow you know um, yeah absolutely. We, yeah <laughs> we could i mean living in the moment going with the flow uh, yeah. we we could go uh for hours discussing this and you know looking at uh what what you and i have been through the ascension process that that you mentioned you know and that will be excellent for another uh, another conversation perhaps you know mm -hmm. um, at your convenience of course Yes. So it's, yes, you just have to, I mean, um, I, I've been told by close family members that Jody, oh, Jody lives in La La Land. I'm like, yes, I absolutely love my La La Land. <laughs> yeah, I get the same. In fact, to be honest now, Jody, the, the friends I have are the friends from inside Nikki's portal. Everyone else is gone. I have a few uh, more local friends one of whom runs a psychic development course but they're friends who without being disrespectful they come from the background that I had as a child and are still there you know and what I love about those people is they have nothing but they give so much of themselves you know for each other they have that real community spirit that us middle class people don't have anymore because we're all wage slaves. Um, you know, and so I have those kind of friends, and then I have my friends in the portal. And I have a few friends who are also doing this journey, but not in the portal, but they have been friends for a long time. And interestingly, they've all come from the Institute of Optimum Nutrition. So it's almost like those kind of people are already on the first run of the ladder. They're all going at the different paces, but yes. the ascension work just accelerates it all. It does. It does. You, you end up meeting your tribe. Yeah. I lost all my friends, so-called friends, you know? Um, yeah. Maybe one stuck around. Uh, but even then, you know, it's, it, it's very difficult. You know, it's so interesting that nobody, wants to have a play date with a child who has food allergies and food sensitivities. I mean, you know, you're a, a grown person and you are afraid to have a, a little child play with, with your child in your home simply because you, you, you don't know what's going on. Like you, you're afraid it's it's been oh my goodness it's just you know uh, not getting invites to birthday parties you know uh, yeah Brian was in a wheelchair so we had to give up sports you know there was lack of empathy of everyone with their own cliques and so mm -hmm. you you have to rise above that versus trying to fit in trying to be a people pleaser 
you know, it's it's the same with, with family members. I've I've got moms telling me that um, family members, you know, look at her like she has two heads when she uh, when she tells them, please do not give coke, <laughs> meaning you know, as as in the the the, the uh, soft drink, right? You know, the, the soda. Don't give soda to my son. And they look at her, it's just Coke. What do you mean just Coke? Do you know what's in there? You know, and, and yes. I have, right? <laughs> it cleans car engines, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, you know, if you wish wish to poison your own body, by all means, you know, they're, they're like, uh, I remember I, I had this nursery teacher um, ask me one day, this this you know young chick uh, fresh out of school she's like dr deshore uh, uh, brian had no idea what's a happy meal you've never taken him to mcdonald's and i'm like you are gonna judge me on that and i'm like no no this is where you need to be still versus you know so i'm like nope and I have no plans whatsoever of ever introducing McDonald's to my son. And then, you know, that did not send the message home, right? A couple of weeks later, she's like, uh, Brian doesn't know what Hershey's chocolate bar is. I'm like, no, he doesn't. He's four. He's got vitiligo on his face, white spots. You know, he's barely verbal, no functional language. You know what's going on with him. And you you expect me not to withhold sugar? You know, it, it, it whatever. So, so it, it, it was complete ignorance. And she was a special needs teacher. And they actually believe in, in all of this. You know, McDonald's as a reward, uh, sugary treats and candy as a reward. And then, you know, right? And you have a child uh, becoming ADHD right in front of your eyes. And that seems to be okay. Like, you know, it, it was, yeah. So it, it's very interesting how um, people try so hard to fall within those established boxes. Yeah. which unfortunately, I, uh, and I'm glad I did. At, at that time, it felt forced. But as you mature, as you grow, as you focus on, you know, family first, you, you learn that that really isn't the important thing. And little by little, I was able to find my tribe. My son found his tribe, you know. Uh, so medicine is his calling. He really wants to help people. So... Yeah, amazing, amazing. So it's yes. been fantastic having you here today. Um, and you know, any any uh, parting words to moms who are trying to heal their child, trying to heal themselves, their their uh, broken hearts, the pressures of society, what, what would you say to them? I would say always trust your gut feeling because you are the only person who knows your child. You just have to be strong enough 
to be able to say to the narrative that's not that's not my truth and in the small amount of time that you've got to yourself just go inside your own heart and nurture your own little girl because there's a part of you and that little girl's crying out and just by going into your own heart can generate more love to offset whatever's going on out there and whatever's coming your way but I think it's always about trust your instinct because your instincts will never be wrong wonderful I applaud you for saying that and you actually gave me an inspiration for having maybe you know a, a, a round table uh, of like-minded moms who can you know let's let's talk about us and looking at our inner child why do we have this uh, need to please you know this difficulty saying no trying to uh, earn the love of others before learning to love ourselves you know maybe if if i can yeah it's just you know i i have so many moms that have fallen prey to that but i think a lot of us are empaths and that's why we've got these children and i think a lot more i don't know if you're aware of um, lawrence heller's research but Lawrence Heller talks about birth trauma uh, and attachment trauma, and he puts it into categories of survival styles. And a lot of us who've had children on the autism spectrum who've had birth trauma, they fall into the connection style, which, is my, which was my style, where they want a lot of social interaction, but they're actually afraid of it. So they'll make it, they'll make it to the door, and then that person will interact, and then they'll retreat. And you see this in the autism quite a lot. I saw it loads in my child, but mm. I only learned that that was my attachment style about three weeks ago. I just happened to be telling my group in the Ascension portal what had happened to me over the previous two weeks because I'm working with a lovely guy called David Router, who's an Australian guy. Um, and he had done some really deep work with me and I was just relaying that and Nikki just came across and said have you not heard of have you not listened to Hella and I said no and she said but you bought the trauma summit and I said yeah but I was just overwhelmed with all the amount of information and at the time I just didn't know which way to go and um she just said source said Lawrence Heller and so you know that's what I'm doing now with people and I'm checking when I see my parents with kids with autism I'm checking which survival style are they in yes. because if you know that and um, I use Ines Eagle's lovely book The Secret Language of the Body which tells us yes. which emotions are behind you know the pains that we feel and Gabba Marte is brilliant at this as well he talks about the pain body doesn't he so I give my client my autistic families all that information from the five levels of healing which I think when you've got all that information, you can make some more informed decisions, can't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. So on that note, right, you know, nothing further needs to be said and has um, summed it up so beautifully. So for those of you who have um, joined me today, I'm positive you found today's interview very inspirational. 
So thank you for joining me. And I will see you back here next time on um, another episode of uh, Autism Approve It. Namaste. Thank you for joining Master Herbalist Dr. Jody A. Dashaw, Director of the BioNexus Health Clinic and BioNexus Herbals, on the BioNexus Health Podcast, where we explore and share information and stories about recovering and healing from chronic and environmental illnesses such as mold biotoxin illness, Lyme disease, autism spectrum disorder, fatigue, Crohn's and colitis, mast cell activation syndrome, PANS, and more. Please help us grow our message by subscribing to our podcast channel and sharing the podcast on your social networks. For more information visit bionexushealth.com. Information within this video, audio, or text, collectively known as the podcast, has not been reviewed by the FDA. Nothing within the podcast is intended as or should be construed as medical advice. Information is for general informational and educational purposes only. Consumers of the podcast should consult with their healthcare practitioners for medical recommendations. Seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider. Do not disregard the advice of a healthcare provider based on any information from the podcast. The information within the podcast may contain information concerning dietary supplements or over-the-counter products that are not drugs. Our dietary supplement products are not intended for use as a means to cure, treat, prevent, diagnose, or mitigate any disease or other medical or abnormal condition.